Hello, and welcome into Airing It Out, a Penn State podcast brought to you by the Center Daily Times. I'm your host, John Sauber, and I'm joined, as always, by Parth Upadye. Parth, how are you? And doing well, covering another week of football. Can't really complain. Excited to see Penn State take on Maryland this Saturday. Yeah, and, you know, we might see Penn State's first win of the year. Uh, Not something they were able to get uh, in week one or two. Week (laughs) one, pretty arguable outcome there. Week two, I think, uh, as we'll get into, was was pretty inarguable in how that game went. Just a... it felt to me like for the first time in a few years that that Penn State was truly overmatched going into a game. You know, uh, you point to a lot of games in recent memory, even against Ohio State. It always felt like, OK, Penn State has a chance going in here uh, for the first time. It kind of felt like, OK, they'll be lucky to keep this within a couple of possessions. And to their credit, they did. But, yeah, let's we may as well jump into the review of the, the game against the Buckeyes now because it wasn't great. Uh, what, what was your main takeaway from Saturday's action? No, you talk about just it not not really being that close, but still being kind of close, you know, Um, I thought like, you know, my score prediction was 35, 24, which is a two possession game, 11 point game. They, you know, they didn't lose by much more than that. They lost by 38, you know, my margin of 38, 25, my 13 point margin. Um, But it just didn't look all that close. If that makes any type of sense, you know, they, they start off by, you know, by letting Garrett Wilson, I believe, you know, run 62 yards on a jet sweep to the end zone on the, you know, on the first play score two plays later, um, it just never felt like Penn State was in that game to me. Yeah, and, and it's you, – you you hit the nail on the head, uh, you know, from – that matches sort of what, what I saw. It kind of felt like this was a team that uh, knew it was overmatched um, and played like it. Uh, they, they just kind of tried to hang around. I think there might have been some hope to strike late after they did that, but there was – I mean, there's no striking late when Justin Fields can just sort of do whatever he wants throughout a game. But <laughs> but I'm 100% with you. Like, they, they just felt like they – even when it was a one-possession game, it was 21-13, one point in the third quarter, it never felt like Penn State was going to be able to close that gap. And it was a one-possession game. Like, it, you know, that is literally as within reach as you can be when you have the ball. Uh, but they were never that close when they had the ball, quite frankly, because Justin Fields was so good. They kept – every time Penn State would – would sort of show anything offensively, Justin Fields would just be like, okay, and then match it within seconds. You know, it was, uh, he was, and we are a Penn State podcast. We won't spend too much time talking about Justin Fields, but man, he was as good as advertised Saturday night uh, for, for my money on the same tier as, as Trevor Lawrence as a quarterback in college football, uh, 1A and 1B, whatever order you want to put them in. It was every single throw he made was, was, on point uh there were several jaw-dropping throws that he made and i think that's the biggest contrast for this game you look at justin fields when ohio state has the ball feels like he's totally in control at all times that he there's no pressure on him that he can take his time in the pocket i remember there's one play it looked like shaka tony was about to strip sack him uh and fields gets rid of the ball uh you know and 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 hits i think garrett wilson for like 15 or 16 yards when i thought that was going to be a drive ender it was like third and 12 or something like that uh and fields you know stayed calm didn't didn't panic under pressure and got the job done you look at sean clifford it's the antithesis of that it's you feel pressure that's not even there and he panics you know there's 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 rolling out in either direction mind you rolling rolling to his left is never going to be smart it's really hard to throw to your left when when you're right-handed uh rolling left anyways when you're right-handed uh but he just i don't know about you but i saw no progression from week one to week two from sean clifford and a lot of the same concerns yeah, I don't think it's all on Clifford, though. I think the play calling was very baffling, you know, from the get-go, right? Ohio State comes out and scores in three plays. They, they use, like, one minute and some change of clock to do so. 
Penn State panics just right from the jump on that first drive. They're in their own territory. It's fourth down. You got to punt it, man. You know, you got to. I, I can't get there on that. I'm, that's that's the one thing I'm good with that they did all night. Is that going for it? I think, see, so the math will tell you that going for it there is a smart play because you've just got to keep pace with Ohio State. I don't you care what the math play. says. <laughs> I could care less. No. The, 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 it, it's, you can't keep pace with Ohio State if you can't score. If you give up that that one possession, which they did anyways. Now, the, I will say the play calling there was terrible. On uh, third and two, they take the deep shot. Uh, fourth and two, it looked like a design roll out where Clifford would roll to his left. He had a panic, turned the other direction, and all of those guys sort of ran routes that weren't actually routes because the play was designed to go to the left. Um, so the play calling was was pretty baffling, but I think the decision as a whole is a good decision. You can't, like, one of those two plays has got to be a run, for one. And two, you have to have options on the fourth down play. You can, and this is my issue, they ran a fade a couple times in the corner of the end zone when they got the red zone, and teams across the country do this. It it is my biggest pet peeve. It's a, such a low percentage play. You're giving yourself one option. Run slants, run run, run something else. Give yourself more chances to score on that play instead of being like, all right, we're snapping the ball and we're chucking it to the corner of the end zone, and that's our only out here. Uh, it, was, it was not a fade, obviously, on that fourth down play, but it was Sean Clifford had one option to go to, and if that option wasn't there, the drive was over. And it wasn't there, and the drive was over. They've, they've got some players to be able to make that catch. You know, you got Pat Fryermuth, Jahan Dotson, and even even Parker Washington has looked looked pretty good, um, especially with Ohio State. I think he had, what, four catches for 70-something yards. He didn't look bad. I thought they should have aired it out, not in those, you know, red zone situations, but just in general more. You know, I think Clifford, he was two of seven in the first half for like 29 yards. He had, he had run more times than he had passed in the first half, you know? Um, and I know Franklin said that that was part of the game plan or whatever the case. It's just when it's not working, you you gotta you gotta air it out. And and if that's part of the game plan, then there was an error an error in the game plan. Uh, I understand what they saw the week before, and you know Nebraska had a lot of success running. Uh, whichever McCaffrey that is out of Nebraska. That's my fault for not knowing that off the top of my head. But, and Adrian Martinez, you know, those guys ran the ball well against Ohio State, but Penn State's offensive line got dominated by the Ohio State defensive line. Those runs were not there. I don't know if those were all designed quarterback runs. My guess is plenty of them were zone reads because you don't, you don't really want to call that many uh, designed keeps on those plays. Now, the draws were clearly draws, like when they were right. trying to run the yeah, ball with, with Clifford. But when, when any time there was a mesh point, I would like to think that they were giving him the option to hand it off there. And if they were, then he was hanging on to the ball too many times uh, instead of handing it off and trying to take it himself. Which had like eight, he had eight carries for 36 yards and Franklin all week leading up to that Ohio state game, you know, said, this is the guy, this is the guy, this is the feature back. And he carries eight times. And, and he I, was the guy when he did carry he it. He was good. He was, that's the, that's the mind boggling thing. He was good he when he carried it. He had 36 yards, but, but still, I mean, that's better than 18 for 17, you know, <laughs> which is what Clifford put up. Uh, was it 18 for 17? I thought it was 18 for like five. It was bad. I don't even remember it. I didn't want to put too much. Yeah. I don't want to put too, put too much brain power into that one. Uh, it was, I mean, a lot of, a lot of things went wrong for Penn state in that game. And a lot of them were the Nittany Lions own doing uh, whether that's Clifford making bad decisions. And this goes, I say, I say this every week and I write it every week when he feels pressure, his eyes go down and he's looking at the pressure instead of keeping his eyes downfield and trying to make a play. Whenever that happens, he's going to eat a sack. Like there's almost no, because you can't just try and find more space and then throw the ball. You've got to keep your eyes downfield and be ready to get rid of it right away. Uh, and he, now he's, it looks like he's feeling pressure that isn't there even more. 
And that's a whole nother disaster because this goes back to what I said about seeing ghosts. Uh, if he's seeing ghosts back there, then Darnold. <laughs> yeah. And then, then, then he's going to be in trouble. You know, this is, it's a really bad place to be for a quarterback. I don't know what the answer is going forward. Uh, I think if you're a Penn state fan and Sean Clifford is the clear best option, I would be pretty concerned about the other options. Uh, I, See, hope- I don't think he's that bad. I, 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 don't. I think when they gave him a chance, when they let him throw the ball, he has been decent. He, he has decent is probably a good word for it, but when you're a team that thought you were going to contend for a college football playoff, uh, when you're a team that still could theoretically go seven and two and finish in the top 10, I don't think that's that crazy of an outcome given the games ahead and, and Michigan just being bad apparently. Uh, but I, when, when you have those kind of expectations, decent doesn't get the job done. Uh, you know, decent quarterbacks tend to play at, at lower level power five schools and group of five schools. He's got to be good uh, or he's got to be great. Uh, and, and he's, he's decent uh, enough sometimes. And he, and, and to his credit makes some throws that are great. Uh, my right. mind goes to the Indiana when he split the safeties and hit Jahan Dotson on the move, stepping up in the pocket down the field, uh, made a couple of throws uh, against Ohio state that were great. Got bailed out a couple of times by Jahan Dotson, who we'll talk about in a little bit was phenomenal in that game. Uh, but can make those throws. The problem is if he's seeing pressure and he's feeling pressure, the play's over and you can't afford to eat that many sacks in a game, or if they don't turn into sacks, you can't afford to eat that many one yard gains when you're trying to make plays downfield. Uh, and, and you're sort of taking your, taking your weapons out of it. The other thing he does, and this is, it's such a crucial mistake because it's why they don't get as many guys involved on offense. It's why you will see Jahan Dotson finish with 10 plus targets and nobody else will, you know, finish with half of that. He gets locked in when he sees his guy, he stays on a read for three or four seconds, which may not seem like long, but that's half the play. Like you, you, if your lineman blocks for three seconds, he's won that play. You know, if he's, if he's done a good job for three seconds, he's done a good job on the play. Uh, and, and if you're not getting rid of the ball in that time, or if you're not working to at least your second progression, if not your third by that point, then you're already behind the eight ball. If he's going to stare at one progression uh, through for for each play, it seems like uh, at times, then then you're not gonna you're not gonna be able to run an offense that that relies on multiple wide receivers. You know, we we saw Jahan Dotson go off in part because Clifford just stared at him. You know, and sometimes he stared at Fryermuth. Uh, and he, I think he struggles to get his eyes through progressions and, and work through a play. And, you know, these are things that aren't necessarily going to show up in the stat sheet. Like it's hard to, it's hard to quantify that, but when you see it happen so frequently, and it's something that happened last year too, uh, quite a bit, especially with KJ Hamler, who he would get eyes for and they would never leave him. Uh, it, it's, it's proven to be a pretty consistent issue for him and can limit your offense in a big way. And I think that's kind of what happened against Ohio state because he had some opportunities where guys would get open, but it was, he was either one bailing out of the pocket when there was no pressure or two staring at the first option. Still, by the time he gets to the second option, the throwing window has, has closed. And, and so, you know, he's got to be able to get to them quicker for those plays to be effective. And Shiraka likes to get rid of the ball quickly. It's one thing he proved at Minnesota. If Clifford's going to hang on to it, they're going to have problems all year. Yeah, I think, I mean, all that criticism is valid, right, for Clifford. But I think ultimately it's more on the play calling. Like when he was given the opportunity to throw the ball, he was he was better than decent. He was good. You know, in the second half, he was 16 of 23, right, after going two of seven in the first half. But if you're not calling the plays to let the guy throw, if you're, you know, doing these quarterback draws and quarterback keepers all game, it's, it's just not going to work out. And it didn't work out. 
I think part of that might be, and this is stuff that we don't see. We haven't been at practice this year, obviously, right. uh, because of you know the ongoing pandemic. Uh, and so this is conjecture, but I think part of that could be trust in your quarterback. You know, you to to want him to throw the ball early against a team like Ohio State, you got to trust that he's going to make those throws, that he's going to sure. make those reads, uh, that he's not going to panic under pressure. And if you don't feel like that guy can do that, and I'm not saying that Sharaka feels that way about Clifford, we don't know that. But if you do, if you don't feel that you can trust that guy, then it it limits you in play call. You know, it it, it handcuffs you and and how you can get things done. Uh, I, I don't want to shoot yourself in the foot, you know, like why, if it's not working early, why keep going to it? Why not just, you know, roll that dice and let, let take a chance and let, let the guy throw the ball, you know, and I know it comes back to trust, but at a certain point, it's like, you're going to lose the game this way. Or you're going to try to win the game one way, you know? Yeah. I, and I think they made that decision a little too late. I'm with you on that. I think they, once they got down, they should have started slinging it. Uh, no doubt about it. But, you know, even, even some of the completions Clifford makes, it's not, they're they're fine throws you know he gets it to the guy but there are times and i think the best uh, example of this was the two-point conversion uh where he had devin ford in the flats open uh on, to his right and he didn't throw him the ball it was it was a quick turn to him get the ball out and then his second read pat fryermuth comes across the field is wide open and and he throws it behind him you know like these are the kind of mistakes in that short area when there are points on the line there are two points on the line there he cannot make those mistakes and like if trust is an issue which again there is no evidence that it is other than what we're seeing on the field and the way they they call the game um then then that's not going to help build it you know you're going to you're going to hurt your team further by, and you're going to hurt your, your relationship further and your trust further by not making the throws that you need to. Um, I, I, I don't believe, I think at this point, and again, it's been two games. I do think Clifford is going to be much better the rest of the year. Quite frankly, the schedule is just a lot easier. They don't have Ohio state uh, the rest of the season, which will help. Um, but you know, if, if they, if, if he doesn't show big signs of improvement, I think you have to wonder what the future at quarterback looks like for Penn state. You know uh, it, it's tough to win at a high level. If your quarterback isn't playing at a high level, uh, whether you want to call it good or decent, like again, he's got to be great. He's got to be elite. Otherwise they're going to be hanging back. Uh, but they, Tanner, they, they knew what they had in Sean Clifford. It's not a surprise. And then you talk about the, you know, we can talk about the losses of, of journey Brown and Noah Kane. That certainly hurts, but. They, they knew what they had in their quarterback, right? And I, I don't think that can just be kind of used as this kind of excuse, you know, for, for, for losing games, if they lose more games down the, ro- down the road. I think they, the thought may have been that he – I think that – well, the thought among – you know, my thought anyways was there were enough signs last year of how good – he would make these flashes like you're seeing this year, like we're all seeing this year, yeah. that, that it was like, okay, this guy's clearly got something to him. He's just got to take, take a step or two forward and he'll get there. The concern is when he looks like the same player he was last year uh, and when he can lose you games with, with crucial mistakes or he can kill drives with crucial mistakes or he can miss big plays with crucial mistakes uh, and they happen far too often. Uh, and I, I know I always go back to the, his eyes coming down on when pressure happens and, and him not, not going through his progressions, but those are two huge deals in an offense that relies on getting the ball out quickly. That means you got to work through your progression quickly and you've got a few seconds to get it out. Uh, Chiraca used to ride slants to death at Minnesota. They would <laughs> kill teams with slants. Uh, Rashad Bateman, Chris Ottman Bell made a, and, and Tyler Johnson last year made, made themselves quite a bit of money just getting the ball quickly from Tanner Morgan. And Morgan was really good at that, getting the ball out quickly. Uh, you know, Penn State has the weapons to do that. We saw it this weekend, uh, and right. we'll get to him in a second, like I said, with Jahan Dotson. But they've got weapons. They just don't have a guy that's getting them the ball quick enough. 
and uh, we'll see how it goes. Like, like you said, there, there are definitely flashes. I just don't, I don't think we've seen enough to make me think he should be, you know, even guaranteed a starter spot next year. I would go as far as to say he, he's going to, I, I would, I would, I would, yeah, I would be shocked if he doesn't start the rest of the season. It's really hard to make that kind of change in season, right. especially when you're not making the playoff. Like, you know, Levis is not going to start over Sean Clifford. Yeah, Levis is not the answer. Like, if you're looking down the depth chart, you're almost looking all the way to Taquan Roberson, uh, you know, and and who knows if he's the answer. We haven't seen him at all because, like I said, we don't see him in practice. Uh, I think it's it, too early to, to, to make that decision or even, even consider that decision. It's I think it's – Hundred percent. I think if if something were to go wrong this weekend, though, whew, like then then the heat's going to turn up. Fortunately for them, I don't think the heat is going to turn up. I don't think much will go wrong. But let's shift to the guy that I keep uh, alluding to, uh, and that's Jahan Dotson. Who I don't know about you, the back to back catches he made were the two best catches back to back I've seen in person in a football game. The one jump and catch uh, on Sean Wade, and then the absurd one handed catch where the ball stuck to his hands. Also on Sean Wade, almost guaranteed first round pick in the 2021 NFL draft, bona fide stud. They lost in the college football playoff last year because Sean Wade got ejected for targeting. That's how good Sean Wade is. And, and, you know, Jahan Dotson owned him, you know, on those two plays. Like he, he make no mistake about it. He was, he was not, I mean, he, he put him in a bad place. Uh, He, the, the second catch was he had to come back to it because the ball was a back shoulder throw. And he kind of looked like, I don't know if it was an intentional back shoulder throw. That's where the location was though, because usually if it's intentional, he's going to twist his body, contort it, get both hands on it. To me, it looked like maybe the, the spot was a little off on the pass, but Dotson being the great athlete, he is stuck his hand back ball stuck, kept going into the end zone. Uh, all in all, just a, a phenomenal game which, for Jahan Dotson Saturday night. Yeah, that's gotta be, I was thinking about that catch too. That's gotta be a, a top three for me, at least, if not the number one you know, as far as amazing catches, stellar catches that I've seen in person with my own eyes, that was insane. That had people in the press box ooing and eyeing. you know, that, that's, that's the kind of pass that was, that's the kind of catch that was rather. Yeah. I try not to, you know, we try not to make any noise in the press box, but sometimes noises <laughs> just come out and you know, I'm sure you heard me go, Ooh, like right when that happened. Cause like that was, I mean, it was dirty. It was, it was one of the, one of the best catches, like I said, I've seen in person, but all around, he was great. He was the, I mean, several wideouts were able to get separation, but none as consistently as Dotson, who 144 yards, three touchdowns on eight catches. That's insane. Yeah. And, and seeing a lot of Sean Wade, I cannot stress this enough. That is the best cornerback he's going to face this year because they're not playing LSU and Derek Stingley. Like Sean Wade might be the best quarter cornerback in college football, but he's definitely the best corner in, in the big 10. Oh, no doubt. And I think, I mean, you just look at that and you say, okay, can you do this the rest of the way? Um, and, you know, there were a lot of questions I felt like heading into that Ohio State game about can Jahan Dotson, you know, be that number one guy in that receiving core? And I think I think he answered a lot of those, if not all of them, you know, on, on Saturday. But we'll see what happens the rest of the way. You know, talking to his teammates today, you know, they, they're all very, very high on him. They say he's been doing this kind of stuff in practice, you know, when we haven't been there, obviously, um, all the time, apparently. So I guess we'll see how he, how he kind of fares the rest of the way. Yeah. And I think your one concern is, and it's, I mean, if he's going to be that good, it's not too much of a concern, but if Clifford suddenly gets eyes for him and him only, then like we go back to that issue and, <laughs> and him locking into guys, but, but Dotson proved he can be a number one wide out. He didn't get the hype in the preseason. Uh, you know, everyone wanted to point to Parker Washington. Everyone wanted to point to Keandre Lambert Smith who have been really good, especially for true freshmen, but Dotson proved that's his wide receiver room. He's the number one wide receiver on the team. 
Uh, and, and Penn State, quite frankly, has a lot to look forward to with him. He's not exactly an elite NFL prospect. I would assume he comes back next year. We'll see about that. But, you know, he, he's got – I mean, the sky is the limit if he's going to play like that against the best corner in the country, uh, you know, cons- that consistently. Uh, but, you know, it's it, it remains to be seen if he can put those performances, uh, you know, together, if he can string them together back-to-back or back-to-back-to-back, or if this is maybe a flash in the pan. I tend to, I tend to side with this being – his breakout game rather than a flash in the pan, but we'll see. I think, so too. I think it was a coming out party for John Dodson. Yeah. Just with the way the guy carries himself, man, you know, we talked to media today on a zoom and he talked about just kind of his phone, you know, blowing up after, after him scoring that touchdown at the end of that night. Um, and he was like, you know, he had to get past that. He, he wanted to, he said he wanted to reply to all those text messages the same night. So the next day it was, you know, it was Maryland week and that's what he was focusing on. So, you know, this, just the maturity and the way he carries himself, he's definitely a leader. Um, and he's showing to be on the field too. For that yeah. and and guys have always said he's always led, always led by example uh you know he's a quiet kid uh isn't going to be the vocal force uh, i think a couple guys said that last year when we talked to them after games once kj announced he was leaving um that that dotson was was always going to be a leader by example rather than a vocal leader but i mean if, if that's going to be the example others will follow like you Absolutely. know you, you're going to be you're going to be looked up to in that room and they have plenty of freshmen that that he can help out, you know, and they can move forward with. I know when, when we spoke to him after the game, he said he practices those one-handed catches after practice, uh, you know, with Keandre Lambert Smith and Parker Washington. Like if, if those other guys are, are, you know, helping him out, like, and here's the thing, like you got to practice those catches because you can't always get two hands on the ball. Like you need to be comfortable in those situations, right. trying to haul passes in like that. No matter how much Franklin hates those catches in practice, they, they have to be practiced. Absolutely. Yeah. They need to work on them. And, and it's good on them for saying after practice to do it. Cause because like I said, you can't always get two hands on the ball. Obviously, you always want to. Your, your odds of catching the ball go way up when you can get two hands on it. But kudos to those guys for, for hanging out after practice and, and you know, uh, prepping for those kind of situations. Of course, this, the situation they're going to be prepping for this week is uh, an easier one than the one they had to prep for last week uh, in, in the Maryland Terrapins, who they are one and one. They did beat Minnesota 45-44 in overtime uh, yeah. uh, last Friday. They were the Friday night game last week. But uh, it was on a missed extra point, and uh, they did not exactly play well uh, defensively. They were, uh, for as good as they were offensively, uh, they were really, really bad defensively. And I think, you know, we'll, we'll start diving into the Terrapins here, but I don't know if their offense is that good or if Minnesota's defense is that bad, given that Minnesota has given up 40-plus in back-to-back, week, back-to-back weeks to Michigan and Maryland. And in Michigan and Maryland's other two games – they didn't do anything close to that. You know, Michigan struggled against Michigan State. Maryland scored three on Northwestern in week one. I don't care what Northwestern's putting out on defense. If you're scoring three against Northwestern, like, you're not exactly a good offense. So we'll see what, what they can do. They obviously hung on them. I believe it was like, what, 45 to three, right? Was that the 45 score? 45 to three. They got run all over. I mean, as, as much of a disaster as you can imagine for Maryland in week one. So a good bounce back for them in week two. They're led by uh, two attack, Tonga Vailoa, excuse me, his younger brother, uh, Talia Ta- Tonga Vailoa. Uh, yeah, a lot of words. A lot of letters. Yeah, a lot of letters, tough last name. We'll power through it. Uh, but, you know. I can't really he, talk with the last names, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I do my best with it. That's all that matters. Uh, but, uh, no, he transfers from, Mar- or from uh, Alabama to Maryland after his brother left last year. Uh, you know, a big get for Mike Loxley and that, that offensive staff. And, 
and has looked good at times. He looked good against Minnesota, like I said. He phenomenal. Um, he put up stuff of, of, of like legend, you know, like yeah, yeah, like third, third Big Ten player to throw for 350 yards, you know, three touchdowns and, and two rushing touchdowns. That's insane. Yeah, and talk about polar opposites. The week one, he was putrid. Like they, they <laughs> could not do anything to help him in week one. So we'll we'll see which version shows up. We'll see if that week two version really is just Minnesota's uh, defense being terrible, or if Northwestern really does have a good defense. I think the likely outcome is a, a middle ground here, somewhere in the middle, right? That's yeah. usually the truth. <laughs> I don't expect him to be nearly that good this week. Penn State's defense is too good. He's not going to drop the dimes that Justin Fields did on them, so they should perform relatively well. I think Penn State secondary is still susceptible, though. You know, they they haven't been fantastic. Um, I, I think not having Keaton Ellis is hurt. And and James Franklin, I believe, said this week he wasn't available. They hope to get him back soon. But Ellis is a really good athlete on the outside. Uh, to not have him, to to have Joey Porter get dinged up and, and really – I mean, I'm glad we didn't see it live. I saw it after the game. What, what looked like a nasty injury. He seems to be okay. I saw uh, it on Twitter during the game, and I was like, oh, gosh, I don't know how, he's, how he got back in the game because he was yeah. back in the game shortly after. Yeah, and I mean, he's a really good athlete. Tariq Castrofield's a really good athlete. Marquise Wilson, not the same athlete those guys are, but getting Keaton back whenever he comes back will help that pass defense. I think the safeties are a problem in coverage. Jaquan Brisker and Lamont Wade have not been good in coverage. Lamont's been better in – yeah, he's been better in zone. Yeah. If, if, you, if you match him up with a man in the slot, like – that's a that's a recipe for disaster. I, I feel like Penn State's got to shift to putting one of those corners in that in that nickel roll when they go five DBs. Uh, dropping Lamont down there is not helping. Let him play over the top. Let him play in a cloud zone underneath. But I I, do, I would not be isolating him against really good athletes. Teams have picked on him thus far. You're right. He got roasted a couple times against Indiana. Yeah. Ohio State tried to find him a couple times too uh, in, in the game. Uh, I know the the play where the, near the end of the first half where there was all that confusion on defense. Penn State was short a guy on the field. Right. Lamont Wade was trying to cover two guys at once because there's confusion. Fields hits a laser dead center of the field from seven yards out to Jeremy Rucker, you know, for an easy touchdown or Wade's just out of position. Like, and, and he's not a good enough athlete to hang with guys either. So you, you want to keep him in zones. You want to keep him helping in the run game. Uh, I, you, you're right. Like the, the secondary hasn't been great. Fortunately, Maryland isn't exactly, you know, they don't exactly have Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson to expose you out there or even Wap Fillier. He was uh, pretty dang good against, uh, against Minnesota, but I guess, I guess we'll see what version of, of Maryland's offense comes out. Is it the one that scored three points against Northwestern or is it, you know, the team that hung 45 on Minnesota in overtime? If it's the team that uh, scored three against Northwestern, this should be a pretty quick game Saturday. Uh, <laughs> I, like we both said, I think it'll be a middle ground here as far as, as far as Penn state's offense. I mean, I know you said that they didn't throw the ball enough against uh, against Ohio State, but they can they cannot run the ball enough against Maryland. Maryland has gotten destroyed on the ground. Uh, both games given up 250 plus yards. Uh, both games getting the ball run on them, I believe, at least 40 plus times, including uh, Mo Ibrahim for for uh, Minnesota going for 41 carries, 200 plus yards. Uh, and, and four touchdowns. Like, I mean, if, if you can give one guy the ball that often, he can consistently get five yards of carry. Devin Ford, Ford Kevon Lee, and Keziah Holmes should be getting at least 10 touches this game, and they should just be going directly at that defense, especially because Minnesota is running a lot of the same offense that they did last year under Shiraka. So you would think if this is going to be, you know, Shiraka's offense against uh, Maryland, then then we should see a lot of the same thing. We should see Devin Ford torching them. We should see uh, Lee and Holmes torching them. We should even see Sean Clifford torching them. Uh, they're just – 
to be blunt, they're just not talented enough to, to hang with Penn State's rushing attack. They're, they can try to keep pace on the scoreboard, but if Penn State can get enough stops, like this could turn into 45-3. to three. I'm not discounting that, Penn State. I, I don't know, man. I would think is better than Northwestern. <laughs> I would think. Uh, maybe not. Uh, but, you know. It's hard the, to tell right now. I tell you, I'll tell you that. It's hard to tell. Yeah. Let's talk about those running backs, you know, uh, just Maryland not being able to hang with that trio, you're saying, you know, of, of Devin Ford, Kaziah Holmes, and Kevon Lee, but – I feel like they haven't really proven themselves. You know, like we talked about the first game, uh, you know, Devin Ford, I know he kind of last minute realized that, oh, crap, he's the guy now, you know, with Noah Kane gone. But they, they didn't they didn't do anything exceptional, I thought, against Indiana, and they definitely didn't do anything exceptional um, against Ohio State. Devin Ford had eight carries for 36 yards, and the other two guys didn't touch the ball. So I think there's still question marks there as well, in my opinion. I, I, think, I think that's fair, but I, I would – think talent will win out in this one you know those guys they clearly have talent oh uh, and, and if a run defense is that bad like bad 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 uh they should have a breakout game you would think uh you know i don't i don't think maryland's defense can stop this penn state offense um even when clifford isn't playing well uh, if they go run heavy on them and just carve them up you know, it might be harder to score 40 plus because you have the ball so often. Long methodical drives, which Soraka yeah, is known for. They might not be that long if Devin Ford's able to gash him for 40 yards on occasion, you know, <laughs> which isn't outside the realm of possibility here. And that's why I, you know, I, I chose that as my key matchup. Penn State's rushing attack against uh, against Maryland's front seven run defense, whatever you want to call them. They will get safety support there too, obviously. It's not just the front seven responsible for stopping the run. But if if Penn State's able to gash them over and over and over again, which is my expectation this Saturday, then they're going to put the kind of hurting on Maryland that they have in recent years. Uh, Penn State has, has, if any school has owned any school, it's Penn State and Maryland recently, just destroying them for the last few years. I remember last year down in College Park, uh, Maryland had their blackout. You know, there was the student section was full. The stadium was was mostly packed and Penn State just wrecked them from the opening kick. Like Maryland never had a chance in that game. Backups were in for a good portion of the fourth quarter. Uh, Penn State dominated throughout. Tango Vailoa is the was that the 59 to nothing. Jeez, that's that's crazy. Yeah, it was, and it was every bit of 59. Like, 59 to nothing feels low for – if you go back and watch that game, it feels like, uh, uh, you know, triple digits shouldn't have been outside the realm of possibility. Uh, Maryland never had a chance. Uh, Josh Jackson was throwing picks, getting uh, getting sacked, fumbling the ball, making mistakes left and right because of Penn State's pressure. You know, not a lot of it was on him. He never had a chance. Um, there were times he, he hit Penn State. Uh, I remember him hitting – Jan Johnson, former Penn State linebacker, right in the chest with a pass, which is uh, not something you want to see out of your quarterback, throwing it to defenders <laughs> like that. Uh, but, yeah, if, if this is anything like those recent games and Penn State's rushing attack is able to get going to that extent, then, like, there's no hope for Maryland. And I don't know if there's no hope, and we'll get to our predictions later, but uh, it feels like this is a, a nice get-back-on-track matchup for Penn State. And because of that rushing attack, but uh, you obviously had a key matchup too. Those are, are published online at centerdaily.com. What did you go with for, for that matchup? No, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, Talia uh, Tungavailoa, he's, he's no Justin Fields, right? But they do present similar challenges. They, they both extend, you know, plays with their legs. They can, they can both throw well, obviously. Um, yeah, Tungavailoa had a historic game, you know, against, against Minnesota. And no matter how bad you think Minnesota's defense is, that's, that says something. He threw for 394 yards three touchdowns and added 59 yards on the ground with another touchdown. I think he was the, the third player in big 10 history 
to have over 350 passing yards, three touchdowns, and, and, and two rushing touchdowns. That, that's insane. And Penn State secondary hasn't exactly been stellar, you know, through, through two games. I know Indiana, they only allowed Michael Penix to throw for 170, uh, 170 yards, a touchdown, and an interception, I believe. But, um, you know, Justin Fields, that's the thing, right? Like, it's how much stock do you put into how well they did against the number three team in the country? a team that can win the national championship. Um, it's not the best measuring stick, but they certainly look susceptible. And I guess we'll see how, how Tonga Valoa uh, can do against that secondary on Saturday. Yeah. And you know, we'll, we'll be finding out simultaneously just how bad Minnesota's defense is. Uh, they play Illinois at three 30 on Saturday, same time that Penn state Maryland kicks <laughs> off. If they're giving up points to Illinois, then we can chalk that up as just the worst defense in the big 10 uh, <laughs> giving up 49, 45 in the first two weeks, not a good sign. If Illinois does it too, then you're dead in the water. Uh, but I, I do think you're right. This is going to come down to uh, Tonga Vailoa when, when Maryland has the ball. If he can be good, if he can spread the ball around, if he can make plays on his feet and hit on deep balls, then, then Maryland could have a chance in this game. I don't see it happening. Like it's early um, in the game until the fourth quarter, I think. Yeah, I think we could see something similar to last week, you know, the inverse of last week, so to speak, with, you know, where, where in this scenario, Penn State is Ohio State and Ohio State is – Correct. Or in, and Maryland is Penn State. Uh, but – it's just when when you get torched on the ground like that team does and when you're facing a team that supposedly wants to run the ball as much as Penn State does, uh, like you said, the running backs didn't get to touch the ball a whole lot last week, so we'll see how true that is. But if, if, that's, the, if that's the name of the game for Sharaka when he's at Penn State, if it's attacking on the ground, then – then it's really hard to see a, a realistic scenario where, where Minnesota can, or where Maryland, excuse me, can do anything given just how putrid they've been on the ground. Uh, you know, the, they were, I don't want to call them historically bad because I have no historical numbers, but my eyes told me last week that they were historically bad against the ground, uh, the ground attack of Minnesota and, uh, you know, Mo Ibrahim and, and the rest of the Minnesota offense. So we'll see. The stat sheet will tell you that. You know, yeah, you know if, not to dig far for that one. Yeah. 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 And you know, you you watch them play them and, and it backs it all up. Like it's just it's it's every play is getting to the second level. Every play is like, oh, that's a two yard gain. It's like, oh nope, never mind, five yards. And it's it's every single play for Maryland. Uh if they if they want to hang with them, they they got to keep pace. I think here, um, and maybe maybe if Penn State's going to go ball control and they're not hitting on big plays, maybe it's you know stopping Penn State once or twice and then just trying to keeping your offense humming the whole time and you can get a win. I'll tell you this much: if Penn State loses this week, like whew, over, like it's it's not well the season's already over for their their current aspirations, but like yeah. it's. Like you got to, the conversation we have next week will be a very different conversation. Different tone. Uh, Yes. Yeah. (laughs) It it will be, it will be a dark conversation for Penn state fans to listen to. I don't think we'll get there. I I don't think that's going to happen. But now that we're, we're at this sort of end point, we we may as well lock in our predictions here. Parth, what was your score for, for Maryland Penn state this weekend? Yeah. You know, like I said, I've got, I've got Maryland hanging around kind of until the early fourth quarter. I think they'll be within kind of striking distance. They'll be, they'll be 10 points shy. Um, and then ultimately Penn state will score that touchdown, which puts the nail in the coffin. I think I've got Nittany Lions 38 uh, Terrapins 21, 17 point game. Not bad. Not bad. That's, that's sort of the range that I was thinking uh, as, as usual, I'm doing this off the top of my head. Uh, it is the best way for me to do these predictions. Uh, they will, of course, be in, in Friday's newspaper in the Center Daily Times, uh, where you can read them, see our wonderful little portraits, along with our putrid records this season. That's not our fault. That's 2020's <laughs> fault. Uh, I will go with 
I'll go with something similar to, to Maryland's game in week one. I will say Penn State 42, Maryland 13. Uh, I just like, I don't think Maryland can stop Penn State's offense. Uh, and I say that because I don't think Sean Clifford has to play that well for them to not be able to stop them. As I've said several times, I don't know if I have, uh, you know, a, a whole lot of faith in Clifford moving forward. I just think the rushing attack is going to overwhelm them. Tonga Vailoa, even if he if he regresses from last week, like that's not a good Minnesota team. I think we're learning that pretty quickly. Uh, if if he regresses from last week and they barely eked that win out, you know, and it was because of literally a missed extra point. If he regresses, the whole offense is going to take a huge step back. Uh, so yeah, he the real deal though. He looked like the real deal. Yeah, no he how bad that defense is. You know, that's all. That's yeah, all. and and he I had to make throws it. too. He had to make throws. Like it's not just you know things were wide open. Although they were on occasion, they were just wide open because <laughs> Minnesota was so bad. Uh, but yeah, no, I I think we'll see a pretty big Penn State win here and a it's sort a of a, a game that they need. They like this is a team that desperately needs to just dominate someone to to show that they're as good as they think they can be. Uh, if not, like I said, this is this this is probably gonna be a long season anyways because your your main goals are gone after two weeks. It's only going to get longer if you start the season 0-3. They really can't afford to do that. Yeah, they need a they need a morale booster right now. But you know, for the record, I think the guys, you know, talking to them on Zoom today, they all they all seem to be fine. They're you know nobody's you know getting kind of an attitude. There's no moping or right. There's no moping. They're 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 looking ahead. They're looking forward. Um, you know, more power to them. And and that's a credit to James Franklin. You know that that one zero mentality. People like to make fun of it, and the the tweets and everything, and you know that they're only focused on this week and so on and so forth. But part of that is when you lose, it helps you turn the page and it helps you just focus on that game. You kind of can forget that you're own too. You can just focus on the opponent trying to get the win that week. Uh, we'll see if they do. I, I mean, we both predicted that they will. <laughs> yeah, you buy a much larger margin. But yeah, it, it's it's really hard to see Maryland staying competitive in this game, given how it's gone in recent years. But I've been surprised before. You know, like I said, none of our records in predict- predicting these games have been too good this year anyway. So I wouldn't be surprised if this game ended in any direction. Uh, but that'll do it for this week's episode of Airing It Out. You can find us, as always, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Please subscribe, rate, and review our podcast on your platform of choice. Uh, if you want to read Parth and I's writing, you can subscribe to a sports pass from the Center Daily Times at centerdaily.com backslash sports podcast. If you have if you have any comments, you can reach Parth at P-U-P-A-D-H-Y-A-Y-A at centerdaily.com or me at J-S-A-U-B-E-R at centerdaily.com. Follow both of us on Twitter at at P-U-P-A-D-H-Y-A-Y-A underscore and at J-O-N-S-A-U-B-E-R. Thank you for tuning in and have a great day.